We're over in Ephesians chapter 5. We should be finishing up chapter 5 here tonight. Last time we picked up in about the middle of the chapter. In verse 11, it said, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Well, light exposes all things, and we are to walk in the light. Light exposes problems. And then it's up to us to deal with the problems that the light exposes. So we are to be walking in this light. And then he picks up here in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 is where we start here tonight. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. So he first says, see then, this is a now that you walk, that you don't walk like the Gentiles. Because we're not supposed to be walking like the Gentiles. We're supposed to be walking in the newness of life that we were brought into. Now that you don't walk like that anymore, but you're walking in the newness of life. Now that you don't walk like the Gentiles, but as child of light, we are in the light. We are not in darkness anymore. We are in the light. So because of this, see then that you walk circumspectly. Now walk is, of course, ordering your behavior. Circumspectly. This light should have an effect upon our walk. When the light shines down upon us, we should be able to see more of the things that are going on around us. And not just a few things are just what's going on right in front. But we're to walk circumspectly. It's being able to see the whole thing. Being able to see more than what just your eyes are focused upon. But, you know, we're looking ahead here, here, but we can also see what's over here to the side. We can walk circumspectly. This walk circumspectly, it comes from the Greek word agribas. And it means exact, exactly, circumspectly, diligently, or perfectly. Exactly, circumspectly, diligently, or perfectly. That's what this word means. So I went through and, and looked up where else this word was used in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Go and search the word carefully is our same word that we have translated circumspectly. The same, same word, carefully. In other words, when you go in and you look carefully for something, think of yourself when you've lost your keys in the house and you go about and you look circumspectly. You look carefully. You don't just casually look around because you need the keys. You need the, you need the keys because you usually have to go someplace. We don't usually look for the keys until we need to go somewhere. And then we need to go somewhere. We need the keys now. So we are looking and we go to the, all the different places that we think and we look all around. We don't just look on the hook where they should be. We look on the ground. We look behind. We look in front of. We look, we're looking circumspectly. We're checking the whole thing out. We're being careful. And that's what he's telling here. The king is saying to the, to the men, when you find them, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him too. Of course, that we know wasn't the case. He wanted to come and kill him. But go and search carefully. That's the first time. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. This is Luke telling why he's writing. Having had perfect understanding. How many of you would ever write of yourself that you have perfect understanding? <laughs> but Luke did. 
He said, I have perfect understanding. The same word here for perfect is the same word we have as being careful, circumspectly. In other words, the understanding I have takes all things into consideration and therefore it is perfect. Acts chapter 18 and verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So it uses this word here for accurately, translated accurately here, that he spoke and taught how? Accurately. If we do something accurately, it means it's correct. It means we were able to consider all things that have an effect upon that and we were able to do it with accuracy. How many of y'all like accuracy? I mean, it's good to be accurate. It's a whole lot better to be accurate than not. Because there's times that it's a problem when we have not been accurate. So this is what this word is used. This same word is used carefully. It's used for accurately, perfectly. He taught them accurately. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. You yourself know perfectly. What's he telling them about how they know about the day of the Lord? You have got it down. You know it perfectly. You know all the ins and outs. You know all the things to consider about the day of the Lord. Therefore, the day of the Lord to you is known perfectly. So this word is used perfectly, accurately, circumspectly, and carefully. Do you get the idea what this word is talking about? When he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, this same word has been used for perfectly, accurately, carefully. See then that you walk carefully, accurately, perfectly, circumspectly. Do you get an idea what this word is talking about? This is how he says. So see then that you walk in the light. Walk circumspectly. Walk accurately. Walk perfectly. It's about time, folks, that we as the body of Christ start standing up and understand that we can have perfect knowledge on a thing. That we can have accurate knowledge on a thing. If Luke can say, I'm writing this book because I have perfect understanding. And that made it into the Scripture. <laughs> Holy Spirit didn't edit it out. If, if that's what happened in, in there, then I guess we ought to be able to talk about ourselves that way. And be, if we're right. If it is said that he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. His knowledge was in part, but he was able to teach things that were based upon that in which he was able to be accurate. There's nothing worse than listening to people who get up and talk inaccurately about things. We all have, of course, the beautiful display of that every time anything goes on in the political field and the media is involved. It is anything but accurate. How many of y'all have been listening to all these talks about the deficit and so forth and, and things? There are so many inaccurate things that are being put out to the American people and no one knows better than to ask. But everyone's talking about it. In such a way, it is inaccurate, but no one questions it. How many of y'all heard that they don't pass this debt ceiling, that we will default on our loans? You know, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. 
that we would default on our loans if we don't increase our debt payment or our debt ceiling. And, you know, people are falling for it, even though, you know, after all this time, if we don't pass the stimulus, then we're all going to fall apart. And then it took them a long time to pass the stimulus. And then we found out the things that were in the stimulus weren't stimulating at all. We bailed out foreign banks. How did that have an effect upon us? That whole thing with the guns for Mexico was financed by the stimulus bill. It was actually in the stimulus bill to finance it. How is that? <laughs> we keep having all these emergencies and all these kind of things. And so now they're, some of the buzzwords on Capitol Hill, they want to knock out the tax loopholes. How many have ever heard of tax loopholes? What does that mean to you? Tax loopholes. Doesn't that connotate the idea? That somehow the law has been written and people have combed through the law to figure out a way around the taxes. Isn't that what it conveys to you? That there's a, tax, there's a loophole. Oh, I can get away with paying taxes if I do that. Do you know what they actually mean about loopholes? Your mortgage interest deduction is a loophole. It's one of the ones they're going after. One of the ones they're going after because the government does not feel you have a right to that money. First off, the government feels that all money is theirs and they want to decide how much they want to let you have. Well, that's wrong. All money is yours and you decide how much you want to give them. That's the way it should be. Tax loopholes. Everybody uses this phrase, tax loopholes. What they're discussing is legal tax deductions that are provided for in the tax code. Legal tax deductions that are provided for. How many of y'all know you were losing tax loopholes every time you did mortgage interest? <laughs> That's a tax loophole to them. Now, does that word accurately depict what's going on? No. But we see, we don't question it. We have this idea that we will default on our loans if we don't increase the debt ceiling. Well, imagine this. How about if you called up your credit card company? Let's say, this is not describing you, but someone else. Say that you had a credit card that had $7,000 limit on it and you at, at the max. And so you were just paying off the minimum payment, which I don't know what that would be. Let's just say it's $200. Minimum payment, $200. And so you call up the credit card company and you say, I need you to increase the limit on my credit card. Now, I don't want to spend any more money, but in order for me to make the payments to you, I need more credit on my credit card. What would the credit card company say to you? <laughs> they would say, oh, wait a minute, you want an increase in your credit, but you're not going to spend any more money. But if we don't give it to you, you can't make the payments of the $200, the minimum payment anymore. Yeah, that's right. Would they laugh at you? And yet we take it seriously when we hear, if we don't pass this by August 2nd, we're going to go default on our loans. That's not right. Because first off, you prioritize, just like most people do, what you're going to pay. I mean, when you have money coming in, you probably have more than $200 in the month coming in. And so you prioritize how much is going to food, how much is going to rent, how much is going to electric, all the different things that go on, and then how much is going to the credit card company. In, in mixed in with that, you might have some other frivolous things that you might put in there. And generally, if you are tight on money, isn't it the frivolous things that we should cut out? Not the payment to the credit card company or the mortgage, <laughs> things like that. But our government wants us to believe that if we don't extend them more debt, they will not pay 
on the debt, thereby def going into default. That's what they want you to believe. Even though they bring in more money each month than is needed to satisfy the payments. But they want to tell you, well, we don't want to spend any more money, but we need the debt ceiling raised. In recent times, three times we have raised the debt ceiling. And not one of those times did they ever say we must have tax increases along with it. But this time, for some reason, it's imperative. Why is that? Three times they voted for a tax for an increase on the, ta the debt ceiling. Not one time did they ever bring up tax deduction or um, tax increases. End of last year, remember how many in Washington were talking about how important it was to extend the tax rates? It's not a tax cut, but the tax rates that had been in operation for all those years that we can't stifle the economy by raising taxes. And now what do they want to do? How did it change in six months? Or do people just forget? Is it accurate? No. But you see, if you have accurate knowledge on these things, you can certainly defun uh, defunct all these sort of things that they want to come after you with. We need to have accurate knowledge. We should have accurate knowledge about what our folks are doing with our money in Washington. I heard someone say this, why in the world have a debt ceiling if every time you reach it, you vote for a new one? <laughs> why have it? There's no reason to have one if every time you come close to it, you're just going to vote for a new one. There are many up there in Washington right now that got voted in of recent times that are basically saying we need to stop spending so much money and we're not going to increase the debt ceiling until we have a handle on that. If you have a representative, senator, who's doing such things and you agree with that, I hope you give them a call. Encourage them. Let them know. It pays to have knowledge on a thing and not just listen to what people want you to hear and believe. And the same thing in the Word of God. It pays to have knowledge. When you have the knowledge of the Word of God, the Word of God will describe it this way. You can have perfect knowledge on the thing. Well, no, we can't. We're, we're in, imperfect people. How can I, as an individual, as a sinner, as a human, have perfect knowledge on anything? Are we not trained with our religious mindset to believe that whatever knowledge I have is tainted somehow? is imperfect and not accurate. And yet we just saw that Luke said, I have perfect knowledge on this thing, so I'm going to write this book. We just saw that someone else was described in his teachings as being accurate, even though his knowledge was not complete. Thessalonians, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes, so comes as a thief in the night. They were up to speed. Stop putting yourself down. If you yield to the Spirit and study the Word, you can have perfect knowledge on a thing. Not because you are so good, but because the Word is so powerful and the Spirit of God is the revealer of knowledge. He will reveal what you need to know. And if you get off down in your spirit, he'll say, hold on, hold on. Not, not, not that direction, nope. I put in my notes how to take this out of yours. Accuracy comes from one who has studied the whole Word, not one who just runs to it for what they need today. Accuracy comes from one who studies the whole Word, 
not one who just runs to it for what they need today. People who just, well, I, I need to know about peace. I need to know about joy. I need to know about healing. I need to know about end times. And they go to the Word and they run to the Word and they study what they need and then they go away. That is not someone who's going to have perfect knowledge in the thing. A person who's going to have perfect knowledge is a person who's a student of the Word, who studies the Word. That the Spirit says, go study this, now go study this, now go study this. And we'll begin to see how all these different things are tied in and the Spirit of God gives us revelation. That is the person who will have perfect knowledge in the thing. That is the person who can be led into perfect knowledge. But a person who just is running on need, well, I need to know this, well, I need to know this, well, I need to know this. That's not a person who's going to do that. Accuracy comes from one who has studied the whole Word, not one who just runs to it for what they need today. You should be storing up things in, the, in, in your word bank. Just listening to the word. Studying the word. Getting that word built up on the inside of you. The Spirit of God. The giver of revelation. It comes in and He begins to take all that word that you are sowing on the inside of yourself and He begins to tie it together. Helping you understand it. Now He goes on here and says, Not as fools, but as wise. How many of y'all know the most common known word for wise? Sophos. We get our word sophomore from that. You got freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior, right? Freshman, we understand. They're new. Junior, we understand. Senior, we understand. But sophomore, why did they come up with this one? Why did they build it off the Greek? Because the a, a person who first goes to college is bewildered. Wow, look at this whole thing. But when you come back the second time, you know it all. <laughs> They're sophomores. <laughs> They're wise in their own, their own sight. And he says, not as fools. And the word here just puts a negative instead of sophos, which means unwise, but as wise. Not as fools. Not as unwise. A person who is unwise, according to the Word of God, is a fool. But a person who is wise is able to be accurate in all these things. So a fool is one who walks not circumspectly. We're not walking in a circumspectful way. A fool then is not one who's walking in the light. They walk in their own light. A fool is not walking in the light of God. They are not walking circumspectly. And they are in darkness. They are in darkness. That is a fool. Now Ephesians 5.16 Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you all know what the word redeem means? Means to buy back. Yeah. Go back to our righteousness knowledge on that. Redeem means to buy back. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He came to buy us back. So he says here, redeeming the time. What's he mean? Buy back the time. Buy back the time because the days are evil. So to redeem means to buy back. Time I have wasted. How many of you can look back and say, I have wasted some time? How many of you will be able to say, oh, I can get that time back? Time I might waste in the future. How many of you all know just because we have wasted time in the past doesn't mean we have learned our lesson? (laughs) There is still the opportunity to waste time in the future. Then when we walk circumspectly, when we walk in the light, God is able to shine down on us and say, that's a waste of time. Don't do it. Don't mess in that area. He'll help us out. We can buy back. 
the time. Now here's, go over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? Well, he just went through in chapter 11. All the different ones that made the Hall of Fame of faith. Abraham. Gideon. Samson. And the list goes on and on. You all remember the list of, of people who were in there in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame of faith. Some of them we question. Some of them we wonder about. Samson, really? Gideon? But just about every single one who's in the Hall of Fame, right there in verse, in verse 1, they're called to be the great cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he talks about this great cloud of witnesses. All these faith people, Abraham, Gideon, Samson, number of other people. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Why does he begin to talk about this? Because every single one of those people in the hall of fame of faith had sin problems. Had problems. Didn't Samson waste a lot of time? Oh man, he wasted. He's over there in the, you know, with the Philistine women and that's a waste of time. I like that quote we gave you before. If you're supposed to be slaying the Philistine, you shouldn't be sleeping with them too. That's your call. <laughs> that's, that's what he's over there doing though. That, that's a waste of time. That's, that's not helping him out. Gideon, did he waste some time? Oh my. Hey, but Abraham, did Abraham waste some time? Abraham was wasting some time, wasn't he? But look at the end of these guys' lives. Look at the end of Abraham's life. When you look at the, the end of his life... The riches that he amassed. The blessing of God. The faith that he walked in. Do you, do you think wasted time? No, you think, wow, look at what he did. When you look at David, did David have some wasted time? Did David get involved in some things he shouldn't have gotten involved with? But you look at the end and you look at how much gold and silver he amassed for the building of the temple. How he expanded the borders of Israel. How he brought more wealth into Israel during that time so that gold and silver, they didn't have as much value. They're just so common. Plentiful. And, and you look at that, you, do, you, do you think of the time that David wasted? We don't think about all that, do we? We think of, Wow. Wow, look at what he look at where he got to. And that's what we can be doing. We can redeem the time. We cannot be the victim of all the wasted effort that had gone before in our past. But God can take and redeem the time so that by faith our walk walking circumspectly, we can accomplish more in a small period of time and wipe away all that wasted time we had. Glory to God. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, in order to get there, didn't Abraham have to put away his doubt and unbelief? Didn't Gideon have to put away his doubt and unbelief? Didn't Samson have to put away some sin in order to get there to where they were at the end of their life? 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Well, he endured the cross. Did he have to? Did not Jesus himself say, I can call 10,000 angels down here. They'll wipe the whole place out. You can just take care of all of you. <laughs> he could have done it. But he was quiet. He didn't say anything about it. He, he was quiet as a lamb, just didn't say any word, say a word, didn't call down heaven. And we can think, oh, but he could have done this and he could have done this. If, but look at what he did. In a, in a span of three days from the time that he was crucified on the cross to the time that he was resurrected... He defeated hell. He set free the captives that were in Abraham's bosom and brought them up into heaven in three days <laughs> because he endured the cross. Was that redeeming the time? And we can do the same thing. So many of these witnesses that we had, they once walked as unwise, but look at what happened at the end. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be unwise, do not be unwise. What well, would we'll go back to uh, verse 16? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Weiss translates this pernicious. The days are evil. How many of y'all know we are still in evil days? There's evil that's going on around us. But that's all right. We can buy back the time. We can do things redeeming the time. If God did it with Abraham, if God did it with Gideon, if God did it with all these Old Testament saints that are in the Hall of Fame, He can do it with us. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise. I mean, what? If, if only it was this simple. Right? If we could just decide not to be unwise. That's it. That's it. I'm not going to be unwise anymore. From this point on, I'm only going to be wise. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be easy? But it sounds like that's, that's as easy as it is. Therefore, do not be unwise. What is being unwise? Not walking circumspectly. Not walking in the light. Walking in the darkness. If that is wise and unwise, then all I have to do is decide to walk circumspectly. All I have to do is walk in the light. And what? I'm wise. <laughs> Therefore, do not be unwise. The word there is not the same word we just saw. It is a different word. It is aphron. It means mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistic, and rash. <laughs> wow. Therefore, do not be unwise. Do not be mindless. Do not be stupid. Do not be ignorant. Do not be egotistic. Do not be rash. Those are characteristics of one who is unwise. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep your mind about you. Keep your wits about you. Don't do stupid things. Be, uh, do not be unwise, but that he doesn't go into the contrary thing and say wise, does he? Or again, we're using different words here. Do not be unwise, Ephron, but understand. That word comes from Sinemi which means to put together, to comprehend, to consider, 
Understand to be wise. I think I actually pronounced that wrong because I only wrote it in English here. Soon, I believe it's uh, the way they spelled it in English. It's just, I should have uh, written it the other way because I was looking that up and said, ah, that's not going to sound the same. Anyway, to put together, to comprehend, to consider, to understand, to be wise. In other other words, you need to be able to put things together. You need to begin to see all the things that are going on around and put together what's happening. Put it all together. You can do it. Be understanding. Don't be ignorant. Don't be stupid. When the media comes at you telling you how the affairs of the world are going around, don't be stupid. Be able to put, the, put things together yourself. Say, hold on a minute. Why do we need to raise a debt ceiling? Why do we need to pass a stimulus bill? Why do we need... And, and go through and put all those things together yourself. Be understanding. Be understanding. To put together. To comprehend. There is nothing going on in this world that you cannot comprehend. Because you have the help of the Holy Spirit who is the giver of all knowledge. Consider, understand, to be wise. I can consider all things and, un- and come to a complete understanding because of the help of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be un- unwise. Do not be mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistic, and rash, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So an unwise person is someone who does not understand what the will of the Lord is. And they go around, well, I don't know what God wants to do. Well, whatever the Lord wills, well, I guess God wanted it. How many of you ever heard Christians going around saying, well, I guess God must have wanted it this way? Because it happened. Well, I guess they must have done something really bad because God let it happen. No. Jesus even contended with that when he was over there with uh, the people. They were, they were citing some bad experiences that happened. And Jesus said, no, what are you talking about? Do you think that the people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell were worse sinners? He says, I tell you no. Too often, we are walking as fools We are not understanding the time. We are not understanding the will of God. What is the will of God here? What is the will of God that's going on? Just because a thing happens does not make it the will of God. But too many Christians buy into this thing, well, if they die, God must have had some reason. God must have wanted them up in heaven more than we needed Him down here. Oh, dear Lord. How ignorant. How stupid. Again, what's the word unwise mean? Mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistic, and rash. Do not be that way. Just because a thing happens does not mean it's the will of God. Israel got a king. Was it the will of God? This generation of Israel did not go into the promised land. Was it the will of God? Israel was supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years. They were in Egypt for 430 years. Was that the will of God? No. Things went on that were not supposed to go on. Israel fell into idolatry. Was that the will of God? These are not things that were the will of God. But they happened. Just because something happens does not make it the will of God. Understand 
what the will of God is. There is the good and there is the perfect will of God. There is the permissive will of God and there is the actual will of God. People can walk in the permissive will and people can walk in the actual will of God. They can walk in the perfect will of God. They have a choice. God doesn't make you walk in His will. People have the option to walk in the will of God and get saved or not walk in the will of God and head in the direction of hell. That's their choice. doesn't make it God's will because it happened. So he says here, Therefore, do not be unwise. It is a choice in this situation to be unwise. It is a choice to be mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistic, and rash. And if people who want to go out there and assert that because a thing happened, it is the will of God, folks, they are egotistic. And you should not listen to them. Find out, Father God, was this your will? God says, no, I don't want that to happen. I tried to get them out of it. They won't listen. <laughs> He'll tell you all sorts of stuff. If it's your business, there are some things that it's just not our business for, and we shouldn't even be seeking after it anyway. It's theirs. How would you like it if people sought after God for your business? You make a mistake, and God, they all want to say, well, why'd that happen? And God starts telling your business to everybody. Would you like that? No, we wouldn't like that. God understands that. Thank God for that. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word there for will is a determination, choice, or inclination, desire, pleasure, or will. Find out what is God's determination. What is His choice or inclination? What is God's desire? What is His pleasure? What is His will? What is the will of God? Understand. Put it together. Comprehend. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to fools who pass themselves off as Christians. Find out. Father God, what is your will? I'm going to study your word. I want to find out in your word what is your will. And there's something to be learned there. Weiss puts his, this verse this way. On this account, stop becoming those who are without reflection or intelligence. <laughs> but be understanding what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, wine is a natural thing. Natural things can be done in excess. Just about anything in the natural can be done in excess. It doesn't make it bad. It is not wrong for a Christian to drink wine. If you want to drink wine, then you can. It is wrong for a Christian to drink it in excess. Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess. Now, I don't say that because I want to go out there and drink wine. I despise this stuff. I can't stand the way it smells, let alone the way it tastes. I think it's awful. But it's not a religious option. That is purely natural. <laughs> I don't like it. And anything stronger than that, I despise even more. That's me. That's my own personal like. The Word of God doesn't talk about stuff stronger. It talks about wine. And it says, do not be drunk with wine. It doesn't say, do not drink. 
So I don't pass judgment off anybody who wants to, to drink wine. If they want to drink wine, go ahead and drink it. But I'm not. Because I just don't like it. I think that's a good reason. <laughs> I don't like it. Now, if you have a, a reason and, and you have a spiritual conviction to not do it, then don't do it. Because the Word of God says that whatever you do that's not in faith is sin. If you cannot do it and be in faith in it, then it is sin. From what I know of the Word of God, I could drink wine and be in faith. But I don't. Because I don't want to. I don't need to. I don't need to learn to drink it. I don't like coffee either. I determined I don't really need to learn to drink coffee. There's really no good reason to drink it. I'm doing perfectly fine without it. So I don't drink either of those things. If you do, fine. There's no scripture in the Word of God that says, Thou shalt not drink coffee. But it says, Do not be drunk with wine. So whatever it is that's in the natural, do not take it to excess. You all know sports can be fun. But you can take sports to excess. TV can be fun. But you can take TV to excess. Computer games can be fun. But you can take computer games to excess. Anything in the natural, we can take to excess. So basically, don't excess on it. That's all there is to it. Enjoy it. Enjoy what there is in the natural, but just don't take it to excess. You should be able to stop it. If you can't stop it, then maybe it's to excess. So do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Apparently, the things in the Spirit don't have the same problem as the things in the natural. The natural things, there is a point of excess. But we never see a warning on the things of the Spirit of excess. Don't excess and get too much of the Word in you. Don't excess and be too spiritual. Don't excess and be too filled with the Spirit. We don't get that warning, do we? <laughs> but in the things of the natural, there's a warning put out to it. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So natural things can have excess, but actually the word here is, the actual translation of this would be, but be constantly being filled with the Spirit. It is present linear action. It is a continuing action. Be constantly filled with the Spirit. In other words, you have no limit. You can be continually filled with the Spirit. Now, that means our capacity to be filled with the Spirit is higher than we think. I heard one person put it this way. I thought it was interesting. It was years and years, years ago I heard this person talking about it. Do you remember when Jesus came out of, got out of the boat and he was met by a man who was demon-possessed? And Jesus was saying to him, come out of him. And, uh, and they, were, they were being difficult. And so finally Jesus said, what is your name? And they said, Legion, for we are many. Well, Legion is a lot. I forget the exact number. I didn't look all this up. I wasn't thinking about this beforehand. But there's, a, there's an actual number on what a legion is. In the, and for the Roman soldier, there is a... Do you remember what it is? 1,200? I know it's a lot. Yeah, I'm thinking somewhere, it's somewhere in that neck of the woods. I think you're, we're both in the same mind frame there. Anyway, you can look it up if you want to. But legion is as a reference to the Roman legion. Not to a Greek legion. Not to any other legion. 
They're in the time of the Romans. And it is a Roman legion. So we're going to say, you know, 1,000, 1,200, somewhere in that neck of the woods. But it's more than that? Five and 7,000 for a Roman legion. You're going to look it up for me, aren't you? <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good to know. Now, what I want you to understand is what this person had going on inside how many people? One person. Is that they had in themselves the disembodied spirits of either 1,000, 1,200, or five to 7,000 people. <laughs> in one person. Whatever the legion is, they identified themselves as being that number. And they said, for we are many. Well, that would be an underestimation. <laughs> we, we got a whole mess of folks inside here. <laughs> There's a whole mess of us going on. And uh, did you find out a number on that yet? Not yet? Okay. So we're going to say anyway, it's 1,200 or 5 to 7,000. He just looked it up. It's 5 to 7,000. What is it? 7,000. So it's the higher number. 7,000. Can you imagine a single individual having the capacity to hold 7,000 disembodied spirits? Wow. Can you imagine what that would be like? Now, we understand from demon spirits before, demon spirits are not fallen angels. Fallen angels do not possess people. They have their own body. Demon spirits came from the race of people that were here before Adam. They are disembodied spirits. They are the race of people that was here when Satan fell and he brought the nations, the nations into disobedience with him. Well, you can't have nations unless you have people. And so during that rebellion, it was Satan, a third of the angels, and whoever was on the face of the earth. I don't know that all of them went along with Satan, but a number of them did. And those are the folks who make up the demons. And we spent time on that before we went through Scripture and looked at all the different things that were involved with that. Not going to do all that right now. But fallen angels and disembodied spirits, which is what the Word calls them, or unclean spirits, are different. Angels have, fallen angels have their place. Unfallen angels have their place. And then disembodied spirits have their place. And they're all in different areas. But there's the disembodied spirits that actually come and inhabit people. The Word of God tells us that disembodied spirits, when they are not inhabiting a body, are in a state of unrest. Cause it the dry places. And they're seeking peace. And when they come and they take over a person and possess them, they take their peace and give them their unrest. That's why demon-possessed people have so much unrest about them. Because they are getting it from this disembodied spirit. Now, can you imagine the unrest of 7,000 demon spirits inside this one guy and you wonder why he was in such turmoil? I say all that to say this. If we, as an individual, had the capacity to hold 7,000 disembodied spirits, what is our capacity of being filled with the Spirit? Got to be pretty good, huh? Probably greater than what we've ever thought. Weiss translates this word this way, and stop being intoxicated with wine, in which state of intoxication there is plafigacy. It's supposed to be easier, isn't it? <laughs> These other translations. But B, I put it in here for this, but be constantly controlled by the Spirit. 
He puts it in there this way. Be constantly controlled by the Spirit. Amplified puts it this way. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Kind of see a parallel passage here. Colossians and Ephesians are very similar books. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now look at it this way. Ephesians says, be filled with the... Colossians says, be filled with the... Word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ephesians, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So Colossians, be filled with the Word. Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Pastor, my pastor from uh, down in Tulsa, Pastor Bob Yenyan, said this one time, we can, no more, we, can, we can be no more filled with the Spirit than you are with the Word. You can be no more filled with the Spirit than you are filled with the Word. I thought that was good. The will of God. Put this in your outline for you. The will of God is known through His Word and His Spirit. The will of God is known through His Word and His Spirit. There are some things in the will of God that are made known to us in the Word. There are some things in the will of God that are only made known to us through the Spirit. The Word confirms the Spirit. The Word of God tells us to test the spirits to see if they be of God. How can you test the spirits? With the Word. You find out, is this consistent with the Word? Because... There is a revelation that comes from the Word. We study the Word and the Spirit of God comes in and gives us revelation on that Word. And then sometimes the Spirit of God comes in and gives us revelation on God in the Word. Do you see the picture of God the Father here, here, here in the Word? Oh, yeah. And there are some times that the Spirit of God can come and give us revelation on God that's not even found in the Word of God. Now, this is an area where you have to be real careful. Real careful. I cringe every time I hear it. As a teacher of the Word of God, I will never, ever teach you anything that is not in the Word of God. Ever. If the Spirit of God ever reveals something to me about God that is not in the, in the Word of God, I have no business teaching you about it. None. I get upset when I hear teachers who teach something about God and say that the Spirit of God revealed it to them but cannot support it in the Word of God. Now, first off, that can happen. And I can give you some instances in the Word of God where it did. Where people knew something about God but it's not in the Word. Where the Spirit of God came along and revealed something about God but it wasn't in the Word. And now, from that point on, it was in the Word. But up till then, it wasn't. That can happen. But you have no business teaching it unless it's in the Word of God. Because how else can you check it? Now you see, as a, as a person walks and as you grow in the Word of God, 
you grow in the wi- in, in knowing His Word, and the Spirit of God, you get you grow in knowing His voice. And there are times that the Spirit of God may share something with you about God and how He operates. And it is not for you to pass on to anyone. The only reason it came to you is because of where you have taken your walk by absorbing His Word and listening to His Spirit. Thereby, you are ready for this level of teaching. For you to pass that off to anyone else, there is no other, and I can find out, there is no other motivation for it than to elevate yourself in their eyes. And that is wrong. If that teaching needs to go to those people, they need to get it the same way you did. Otherwise, hush your mouth. You don't need to say it. As a teacher of the Word of God, I will only bring you things I can show you in the Word. The Holy Spirit may show me something outside of the Word of God about God. That might happen. But it is not for me to teach you. Nor is it for you to teach others. And you best be careful about that. Because a teacher will incur a stricter judgment. You think Moses learned some things about God that he didn't write down? Do you think Elijah learned some things about God that he didn't pass on to Elisha? How did Elijah know he could call down fire and burn up people? Is that in the Word of God? (laughs) It is now. (laughs) I mean, God called down fire and burned up people, but he did it on his own. Nobody called for it. He did it because he decided to. And Elijah said, if I am a man of God, let fire come down and burn you up. (laughs) How did he know he could do that? The Spirit of God can show you some things about God because you have walked in such a way that he says they can handle this now. But don't go off in the place where you start teaching it to people who have no business knowing it. Because those folks are going to get off. They don't know how to handle it. Anyway, getting off on some things here. The will of God is known through His Word and His Spirit. Both are, are instructing you on who God is. You need the Word and you need the Spirit. Knowledge of the Word alone leaves us dry. Knowledge of the Word alone leaves us dry. Leading of the Spirit alone leaves us unsteady, unstable, flighty. You can write any one of those in there. I only gave you room for one. I've just put it in there unsteady. But all those things come about. You need the Word and the Spirit. It's both. I've told you my greatest study tool is, is getting down on my knees and praying in the Holy Spirit. Greatest study tool I have. Because what I need from the Word of God is the enlightenment that the Spirit of God brings. If you just have knowledge of God, I'm sorry, knowledge of the Word, it will be dry, stale, no life. What is it that gives life? The Spirit. It is the Word and the Spirit. They come in together. They give life. It is the Word and the Spirit. Now, going through school, I've had some opportunity to be under some, some big folks. Uh, it, it, I told you this story before, I think. But in the, at the King's College, 
where I was at, we had the opportunity in church history to be under the teacher of the foremost authority in the probably United States on church history. He's written most of the church history books. You'll see his name right there at the, right there at the bottom. He's written... All the ones I've seen always have his name on it. I'm sure that there's others, but most of them have his name written right on there. And I went through church history. I'm a Bible major in a Christian school taking an elective of church history. You would think, oh, this is a match made in heaven. It was the most boring class I had in the entire year. It was boring. It was dry. I struggled to get through it. Got through, I think, with a D or a C. And I love history. Love history. Love the Bible. Love studying it. And I barely made it through his class. Then I went on down to Ramah. And Ramah, I got it. We had, we had to go through church history again, even though I already had it. We had to go through church history again. And so we're going on through church history. And we had this guy. No one ever heard of him. No one even knew he had been teaching there for years at the school. And no one knew, knew until the first year I was there they announced it. We didn't know this, but um, Cooper Beatty, he has a doctorate. And he just said, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> he didn't even tell anybody that he had a Ph.D. And he got out there and he would teach us about church history. And all of a sudden, it was wonderful. There was life. Oh, the difference between being at King's and being at Ramah, just in the church history, was astounding. I got a solid A, 100% A, in the class. And loved every moment of being, looked forward to being in the class. Oh, what are we going to learn about today? And he would teach us how the Spirit of God was throughout all church history and how the different people would come up. And you know, everybody knows Martin Luther? Well, 50 years before him was a guy by the name of Savonarola. Anybody ever heard of him? Savonarola. Savonarola was a spirit-filled Martin Luther. He prophesied. He spoke in tongues. The gifts of the Spirit were in operation. I believe even healings had gone on. He would lay hands on people and they got healed. But he was burned at the stake because he didn't have the support that Martin Luther did. No one, no one hid him. <laughs> So they found him and they burned him and he died. But he was every bit the Martin Luther that he became 50 years later. I didn't know about him at King's. I found out about him down at Ramah. I found out about a whole lot of people that the Spirit of God, the church of Jesus Christ with, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that never died. It was always alive. And he began to go on through and show time after time, group after group of where the Spirit of God just followed and where revival was taking place and the gifts of the Spirit were in operation and people spoke in tongues and prophesied and all through history. And they were almost always persecuted. You can have the knowledge, not the Spirit, and you'll be dry. You ever heard somebody who's gone through all kinds of schooling and gets up and gives you an oration on the Word of God? And you come out of there and say, wow, that was awful. I didn't learn a thing. Knowledge of the Word alone leaves us dry. Leading of the Spirit alone leaves us unsteady. We are to have both. And they are to increase the same level. 
Verse 19, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how it should end up. This is where we should be at. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation of being filled with the Spirit. When, we, when this happens, we are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what our life should be. This is how we should be going about things. So here's the results. Speaking to yourselves, singing to the Lord, giving thanks always, and submitting yourself. Too many times, folks, people get high in the knowledge of the Word of God or they get off in the leading of the Spirit. They're not balanced and they're not submitting to anyone. A spirit-filled person is a submitted person. We are all to be submitted to someone. There's giving of thanks. They should be. You, you, you can just tell. They're just glad. They're giving thanks all the time. They're singing to the Lord. Maybe not out loud, with a, you know, because some of us don't sing all that well. But you know, just uh, making melody to the Lord, singing to the Lord. We we can speak to ourselves. We can sing to the Lord. <laughs> That's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Sounds like the same end result, doesn't it? Being filled with the word, being filled with the spirit is going to have the same end result. They team up, they work together, and this is where it's going to bring you. And whatever you do in word or deed, can you do anything else beside what you do in word or deed? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, I put these in for the application, but there was absolutely no room. I deleted it off when you're out. So you can write this in if you can write small enough or if you want it. But being spiritual does not make you fruity, flaky, unstable, or unapproachable. That is not a spiritual person. A spiritual person is not one that you cannot approach. A spiritual person is not fruity. They're not flaky. They're not fly by all of a sudden they get spiritual and then they're in this zone. That's not a spiritual person. That's not how we are described here in Ephesians or in Colossians. Spiritual person, since you understand more and walk in greater wisdom, what you say makes the most sense. What you say with your mouth makes the most sense because you are speaking in the wisdom of God. You are speaking having been able to see things circumspectly. You are understanding things. You're able to put stuff together. You can understand it better. How many times we see Jesus walk in on a situation and you wonder, oh man, what a mess. Oh, look at this thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus just says a couple of words and the whole thing's fixed. <laughs> it's all taken care of. Done. What Jesus said made the most sense because he was the most spiritual out of the whole group that was there. But he said, this is, what I, this is how I want you to go. This is how we are to work. He was led by the Spirit and he knew the Word. You get someone who's led by the Spirit, doesn't know the Word, they're not going to be helpful. You get someone who knows the Word but is not led by the Spirit, not going to be helpful. You grow in the, in the Word, you should grow in the Spirit. You grow in the Spirit, you should grow in the Word. Walking in the Spirit does not mean you ignore the Word of God. It won't do that. It's going to drive you into the Word of God because the Spirit of God is going to say, you remember what it says over here? And it's going to drive you to the Word. Oh, yeah. Because the Spirit of God, His most common use 
most common function that is described in the Word of God is not power. It is the revealer of truth. That is the most common thing He is supposed to do. He is the revealer of truth. And He will reveal truth to us. And He will help us with that. But it's a constant thing. You're, you're always moving up one and then moving up on the other. And then moving up on the one and then moving up on the other. And it is a constant... You can't ever let them get out of balance. The leading of the Spirit, He's going to lead you in the areas of the Word to grow the Word. And the Word is going to push you to find out, Holy Spirit, what's this mean? And you're going to you're going to grow in that, in that area. There is a balance that is brought about in this thing. And that's where we need to get. That's where we need to, to, to walk in. Now, after a lot of persuasion, and a lot of pleading, back at home, we went down into the basement and we pulled out my old 38-gallon fish tank that we used to have set up that we were in Warrington and over in Hatfield. We pulled that sucker out and we set it back up. And, uh, you know, they all wanted it to be, be set back up. And then one time Christian and Hannah, they showed up and said, we're here to clean it out and get it ready. So, they, you know, they kind of pushed push things along. They all wanted this thing set up. My wife's wanted it set up. So we went ahead and we set it up. A couple months ago, we set it on up and we, we got it going. You know, we're adding little things here and there and, and get things going on it. But, uh, you know, for the kind of tank that it is, it's a reef tank. It's not just a fish tank. It's a reef tank and you put certain things in there and, uh, and there are certain requirements of it. And because of it, you have to test the water on a regular basis. And there are two, or actually three components that you test a lot. I test a lot because they all interact. And one of them is calcium. One of them is alkalinity. The other is pH. They all interact with each other. Now, in order to get the stuff growing in the tank that you want and help the corals and stuff like that, you need the uh, calcium to be at a high level because they eat it, so to speak. They just feed on that. When you keep the calcium at a high level, it tends to take the alkalinity down. And if you let the alkalinity get down too far then pretty soon there's nothing to buffer the pH and the pH drops and the pH drops your fish die. And so it's a constant battle to keep your calcium up and your alkalinity up. If you increase the alkalinity, the calcium goes down. If you increase the calcium, the alkalinity goes down. And so you're always testing, always testing because it's this balance of keeping the calcium up high enough but not affecting the alkalinity so that it drops and so that the fish stay alive. And so it's the battle that goes on. If you let the calcium drop, your corals are going to suffer pretty soon. They're going to die. And the other things you want to grow in the tank, they're not going to grow. So if you want fish and corals and all that, then you go through this battle. And it's a constant thing. You have to keep testing and looking and doing the things that are necessary. And so I got back into the drilling board and began to study what are the newest things that they're doing to help increase these areas. And it hadn't changed a whole lot since the last time I was in it. But it was just fun to go on through and find all the different methods. There are about four, five, six different methods and some are expensive and some are cheaper. And I don't want the expensive ones. We went into some other ones and oh, it's just interesting. Because I like the chemistry of the, of the thing more than anything else. But it's the same thing with our walk. 
There's the level of the Spirit. There's the level of the Word. You need to keep them both growing and keep increasing. There's no excess in the area of the Spirit. There's no excess in the area of the Word. You can keep increasing both. But increase both sides. Don't get all lost in one. I'm just going to study the Word. No, you've got to study the Word. You've got to pray in the Spirit. You've got to pursue after the Spirit of God. You've got to listen to Him. Don't get so lost in the pursuing what the Spirit of God is saying that you forget what the Spirit of God wrote to you. Study both. You build up both. And you produce a walk that is like none other. That when you speak, it is the wisdom of God. That's the life that Paul is telling us is available for us to one who walks like he is described here in the book of Ephesians. Father, we thank you for the picture that you give us of a wonderful walk. One who can walk and understand things perfectly, accurately, circumspectly. Father, we want to have that knowledge on things. We want to be able to do as Luke did as he said, I'm writing this because I have perfect knowledge on this thing. We want to be, have people describe us as saying, he is an accurate teacher. Oh, Father God, these words can describe us as we grow in our knowledge of the Word and grow in the influence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name